Welcome to the State of Business Utah. I'm your host, Forrest Cole, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Clint Betts, the CEO of Silicon Slopes and the CEO of CEO.com. Thanks for listening. Clint, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Yeah, wonder thanks, if you, man. Yeah. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about, you know, I know that you were a journalism major at UVU, and how did you go from a journalism major to sort of being a part of the tech industry here in Utah? That's a good question. Uh, it's a funny question. Uh, I I have 185 credits at UVU. I think you only need 120 to graduate. <laughs> I'm actually not even sure that I'm graduated, but I have a uh, 100. So so I did study journalism towards the end, um, but I really was just, I went to school for like one reason. I wanted to like learn a lot of different things and uh, I wanted to learn how to write. Mm. That was kind of like the big thing for me. It's like, how do you, I felt like communication would be important. And so, um, yeah, uh, did journalism in school, but never really thought of myself as like a true journalist or like never really had any aspirations to go work the New York times sure. or anything like that. Right. Um, uh, it was more like, how do you write? How do you communicate that type mm. of thing? And then once I, uh, decided like, Hey, you've gone to school long enough to be like a doctor, but you're not, <laughs> <laughs> I like probably stop doing this. And, uh, yes, at that point, once I left, it was, uh, running a software development firm with a couple buddies of mine mm. in Provo, Utah, where we were working with a lot of these startups that are now no longer startups, major companies, wow. um, and building their initial product or MVP, and then helping them transition to their own kind of in-house dev team. Mm. And so that's kind of how I got ingrained and first started getting involved in Utah's startup and tech scene. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So I, I have a master's in creative writing and oh, people, yeah. people ask me all the time, oh, should I go get my MFA? And I tell them, don't do that. Go get a journalism degree, learn how to write, yeah, you know, and learn how to communicate. And if you want to be a poet or an author, you can do that in your own time. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I loved, I loved my degree and I'm actually about ready to start my PhD in the fall Yeah, in uh, anthropology, a little bit of a switch. Oh, interesting. But- you know, I think it's interesting that you saying that, you know, you wanted to learn how to write and communicate. People ask me this all the time, and that's my advice. Go learn how to write well, and then the creative stuff will follow. Dude, about every six months, I'm like, I should go get an MFA just because I think it would be fun. And then I'm like, no, nah, you don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is a lot of fun because yeah. you're just hanging you're just out. reading and writing, right? Reading right? and writing. And, that's and, so and, cool. And it's, it, it, was, it was a great time, uh, but I definitely, I don't wish I had gone to, do something different. I just, just my advice for other people. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. What was the name of the tech firm that you started? Izeni. Izeni. It now it still exists actually mm -hmm. under the name Start Studio. Oh, okay. Um, and inside of Izeni, we launched a little blog called BeehiveStartups.com. Mm -hmm. And so I learned, uh, you know, what I learned from journalism at UVU. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm just going to reach out and interview all these CEOs and entrepreneurs and stuff, and kind of write kind of an in depth profile mm. piece on their life and their company and their journey mm. to where they were. And that'll be beehashstarps.com. Literally put no thought into the name, bought the domain <laughs> for $10 and just started doing it. The site sucked. The traffic sucked. <laughs> like, um, I, I was writing it. So even the writing probably wasn't even that great. And it was, uh, you know, it was just kind of this interesting way for us to one, get more involved and connected into the startup community and to kind of, you know, give back. No one was covering these things back in like 2012, mm -hmm. 2011. 
and um, it was clear something was about to happen or like there was a lot bubbling up at that time, mm-hmm. but nothing had really popped. No one had heard the uh, name Qualtrics before, sure. you know, or some of these mm-hmm. other things. And so, um, yeah, just started doing that. And uh, again, like no one was reading it, had them take Google Analytics off the site because it was depressing, right? <laughs> I was like, I don't even want to look at it. And then like a year later, we popped our head up and like we realized we'd built like this community by telling the stories mm. of these people. And the people who were reading it were the people we were writing about, mm. which was pretty interesting. Yeah. And all of a sudden we had these fans and not just any fans, but kind of like the leaders of the Utah startup and tech community who really wanted beehive startups to be more, to grow into, you know, doing events and uh, really become a, you know, a community organization. So. Mm unintentional how all of that happened yeah yeah i mean i'd like to i mean that sort of development of an organic community almost unknowingly is is a very cool thing mm-hmm. i mean i think and this is a question that's been pondering for me is i mean a lot of times we're trying to create these intentional communities but the organic ones are really maybe more powerful you know but how did you you, you were talking a little bit about the sort of feeling at the time that nothing had popped. I mean, sounds like you sort of got into the, when the tech uprising here was just in its infancy, did you, could people feel that something was going to happen, that like it was going to become what it is today? Yeah, there were pockets of it. You could feel it for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be clear, like Utah's had a a bunch of waves. We're we're probably in like the fourth or fifth wave of tech right now. The first wave, you're looking at like Novell, WordPerfect, those types of companies, which really was like incredible. Like I would say two of the top 10 tech companies in the world in the late 90s were actually based in Utah, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, the CEO of Novell left to be the CEO of Google. Like oh. that's a really like, – <laughs> like our, our tech history is really strong. Mm. I don't ever want to, you know, um, portray like tech started in 2011 or whatever, yeah. right? Like um, it goes way back way 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 back to i mean adobe and john warnock at uh university of utah the history is incredible actually Mm -hmm. adam edmonds who's the ceo of entrada is doing like a podcast where he's interviewing kind of these old legends oh um and these legendary companies and it's fascinating to hear their story of what it was like back then but yeah in 2011 at that point like i think josh james had sold omniture to adobe around 2008, 2009, for about $1.7, billion. And it was the first time that I think anyone thought, well, you can build a Silicon Valley-type company, size company, mm-hmm. and get a Silicon Valley-type exit mm-hmm. without living in Silicon Valley. Like, mm-hmm. Josh can approve that, right? Mm-hmm. That, um, And he's the whole reason why Adobe's here. He's the whole reason why this point of the mountain looks the way it is, sure. right? And so he was he was kind of like the um, leader of the, I would say, the second wave. And then the third wave, he was also part of with Domo. But then the third wave, you've got like Qualtrics, Pluralsight, Health Catalyst. There's like all these different groups, right? And that's where we started getting engaged. And by the way, Qualtrics had started in like 2004, 2003. Same with Pluralsight. But they were bootstrapping. They hadn't taken money yet. They didn't Mm. take money until I think 2013 or 2014. Whatever, whenever it was, we broke the story on beehive startup <laughs> like That's their so their cool. first funding round and so um you could feel that something was happening you could feel the energy you could feel and and we were we probably felt it more than most because these startups and entrepreneurs were coming into our dev shop mm-hmm. and saying like here's what we want to build here's what we're doing 
we got some funding here. We got some, you know, funding there. And it was like, wow, this is crazy. Something, something's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it did. It's crazy. I would have never expected it to be what it is today, which is, uh, I think it's even going to be crazier 10 years from now. But yeah, it, it blew up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, we, my wife and I were driving yesterday, but we, I think we were, we were going to Ikea or something. We drove, we ended up driving by the prison or the old prison mm-hmm. and watching it. I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's being torn down so fast. And my mind immediately went to, oh my, all this open land, mm-hmm. who knows? I don't know what's going to happen there, but there's some, you know, yeah. pretty big potential for more companies to come and for build sure. there. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but I think that's really fascinating. So when did you become part of Silicon Slopes? So uh, we were running BI startups, just it wasn't even a separate company. We had to create a separate company when somebody sent us a sponsorship check to BI startups and we had to call them and tell them like, hey, we don't have a bank account. There's no way for us to like cash this. Yeah. And they're like, well, create a bank account. <laughs> like, All right, yeah, that does sound kind of easy. So we created um, BI Startups as an actual entity. It was just an LLC. Um, and then Josh had been running Silicon Slopes inside of Domo. Mm-hmm. And there had been a number of people who had kind of run the organization and, and done a really good job. They, pour, they were putting out calendars, doing like these various events. And then we got Josh to speak at um, Startfest, which was kind of like one of our first really big events. Mm-hmm. And... Um, at that event, we started talking, the, he and I, about, well, you know, we should probably create a nonprofit. I put no thought into the name BI Startups. You put a lot of thought into your name. <laughs> Let's use your name. Let's go get, you know, Ryan Smith, uh, mm-hmm. Aaron Sconner, Dave Elkington, and kind of the kind of the big CEOs at the time to, you know, be the founding board. Mm-hmm. And let's really turn this into something. And so we did. We created a nonprofit, uh, created a 501c3, put them all on the board, and yeah. It's been wild ever since. That's awesome. What was it like in the beginning of the Silicon Slopes nonprofit? Like, it was is was it a similar sort of business model to that it is today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, very similar. Um, the the big goal for us when we started it was like, hey, we want to drive awareness to mm-hmm. Utah's tech community. We wanted to drive uh, capital to to here. We wanted to drive talent to here. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to build a summit that was a global tech summit that just happened to be um, headquartered and uh, ha- it happened to always take place in Utah, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that's what we did. That like uh, mission accomplished at that point, which is actually kind of a weird thing. We're kind of going through a bit of a transition period at Silicon Slopes because when you accomplish the mission you set out to do, it actually becomes like a huge challenge. It's like, so what are we doing now? <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, the, the four of us would get, go, go over to Josh's house or going to Ryan's house or late at night, talk until like 4 a.m. about, you know, various things that we would do, plan these summits. We got, um, you know, incredible leaders to come to the summits. And um, it was fun. It was crazy. It was, yeah, it was wild. That's awesome. Yeah. I've, uh, I mean, I, I've been to quite a few of the little events you guys here have in your office and I haven't been to any of the, I haven't been to the summit or, or those kinds of things yet, but I would really like to be able to attend. But the, you know, so I know you have the Silicon, the Silicon Slope Summit coming mm-hmm. in September. Who are mm-hmm. some of the guest speakers this year? I think we have our best lineup ever. 
this year. We have Gary Vee, Tony Robbins. We have the CEO of Time Magazine. We have the founder and CEO of WordPress. We have, like, uh, people should go to summit.siliconslips.com because I, I know I'll miss some. Sure. Uh, to to kind of check out the whole lineup. But really excited about this year's lineup. It's a pretty diverse group of, you know, d- diverse group of industries, a diverse group of uh, folks kind of speaking about, like, how the world is changing mm-hmm. and how the world is disrupting their business. In particular, I wanted to talk to, like, leaders of big media companies mm-hmm. given like how ai mm. is transforming everything i mean that media has always has been in a transformation period for you know a couple decades but yeah ai i think changes everything right like oh yeah ai is basically like it can run a buzzfeed right now without any employees i know just exploring some of the small possibilities yeah. of ai on my own it i mean i'm just i'm just amazed at the things that it can do and, and can't, I probably can't even imagine the things that'll change, you know, outside of my little sphere. Right. I mean, it's just amazing. It'll be, I already think like, uh, you know, this isn't revolutionary. I'm not the first person to say this, but um, I think it's bigger than the internet. Mm. I think it's probably a hundred times as big. Wow. (laughs) Could be the end of humanity. Could be, it could be. <laughs> if the, I mean, if the movies tell us anything, yeah. right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, <clears throat> you know, I, I mean, this is also not an original thought, but this is Silicon Slopes, and what you do is about community building. Mm-hmm. Your tagline, I think, on Twitter is community organizer. Mm-hmm. And I want to I talk a little bit about community. Like, what's it like? building a community what kind of challenges have you faced it with yeah the different organizations that you've had that that do this yeah you're catching me at an interesting time for that question actually because i've been kind of introspective about that and thinking about what it means to build a cohesive and strong community what it means to um be a community builder i you know i do call myself a community organizer somewhat jokingly because barack obama called himself that (laughs) when he ran for president and i was like oh he kind of made it like a he kind of made it bona fide to be that right yeah um here's here's my take on community and i don't know if it's the right take or wrong take but i think uh community must empower its members to learn connect and serve and it must do it continuously Mm. right I think that at at its core, that is the model that Silicon Slopes has always followed Mm -hmm. is, you know, you have to do those three things. You got to help them learn, which could be like workshops, events, news, what's happening, you know, various things, you know, like newsletters, Mm -hmm. deep deep dives and things, things like that. Uh, You have to help them connect, which would be kind of like your broader events, like a summit or a start fest or, you know, the Friday conversations we do here, things like that. All of this stuff has to be continuous. It can't just be like once a year, right? So you got to like continually do it. And then you got to make the community be about something bigger than the community, right? Mm -hmm. And to serve and give back and uh, to kind of lock arms and, you know, check people's egos and logos at the door Mm -hmm. and uh, try to make a difference in the world if you can. I mean, that's one of the powers of community is like you, you have a group of people all aligned who can accomplish things that by themselves they couldn't, right? And so I think that model really works. And then I think if you back up even further, I believe community is all about chances, Mm. right? If you don't have, if your community is not empowering its members to take chances on themselves, 
or give chances to others, mm-hmm. you know, that that's probably not a community. It's probably like an organization. Mm. That's probably like a trade org or something like that. Sure. But if you're, if a community and, you know, by the way, like, I don't know if we're great at this or not great at this, but the greatest communities that I can think of empower people to take a chance on themselves and surround them with the resources, mentorship, um, everything they need to succeed and give a chance to others, which is like, hey, if, you, if you've been successful inside of this community and this community has helped you, you kind of have a responsibility to reach back and give the next generation a chance, right? Yeah. That to me is like the power of communities taking chances on yourself, giving chances to others. Mm -hmm. I like that last part, you know, about giving people chances. I I don't think that I've thought about that. Community has always always been very important to me. My wife sort of teases me about it because it's kind of my buzzword, you Mm -hmm. know. But, you know, we have – my wife and I lived in Abu Dhabi for a while. And, you know, I was always talking about the community that we had, right, because you have all these expats that Mm -hmm. are – thriving off of the relationships they have with each other. They have no family close. So your friendships become, you know, very important. And we would have this community and it was about support and about taking care of each other. And maybe, maybe it was about giving those chances, Mm -hmm. you know, and then contrary to that, someone asked me the other day when, when I was younger, I spent three years following the Grateful Dead around the country. Oh, that's cool. And the reason that I went was because of the community and the promise that I would be taken care of, mm-hmm. you know, and and also that I could sort of live outside society a little bit, right? Yeah. But I was shocked to find that, that that wasn't always the case, right? Yeah. People were, you know, egotistical and, you know, selfish often and lo- looked out for themselves and not, others now this is i'm generalizing here because there definitely was the caring part but it was usually a very small group not the whole group was so it was just interesting to think about this idea that like i tried to force a community in one and other another one was just sort of organic right which kind of comes back to this intentional but with this podcast my podcast you know i i want to create a community Mm -hmm. but i don't want to force it too much, you know, and at the same time, right. I want it to be organic, but you know, some of these things that you say are really, I think would really fascinate. Well, you're already doing it, man. Like, and again, that's just kind of like my spin and my language that I put on it. I'm not sure that it's, you know, the right language, but, and and certainly like there are egos within the Silicon Slopes community for sure. Right. (laughs) And there are like real reasons why someone would want to be associated with silk and soaps and the broader thing for their own personal gain, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, you know, um, help with getting investment, all the, uh, you know, helping get kind of connected to other people, that type of stuff. I think all of that's great. I don't think mm-hmm. like ego needs to um, be completely outside a community. I think it should be when you're thinking about what's best and there's meetings about like, you know, hey, how do we grow this thing and mm-hmm. what's going to be best for everybody? I do think it's good to kind of check the egos at the door there. But otherwise, yeah. you know, go ahead, do whatever you want. I actually got an interesting, at this last summit, um, there was a VC who I, I really like. Um, and uh, But he tweeted like that that uh, we needed silk and slips, needed more competition or something. Mm. I think I'd written something in the Deseret News mm put the headline, you know, like you don't get to choose the headlines on, yeah. uh, when, when you write op-eds. <laughs> they said something like Silicon Slopes doesn't need competition or something like that. 
And that kind of made it sound like I was saying our organization didn't need competition, mm. right? And so this VC was like, hey, actually, you guys do need competition. Well, yeah, I agree. And in the article, I even said that, you know, mm -hmm. we're not the only organization. There should be organizations. And then he sent, like, this picture of uh, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, mm. like, when they were, like, at their retirement thing or something, kind of crying together. Yeah. And, like, they'd how they'd make each other, made each other better. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of true. But, like, that's kind of, uh, we're more like the NBA. We're more like... Uh, there's a bunch of teams in here and we don't get to pick favorites, right? Sure. We're just like, how do we make the competition healthy? How do we make mm -hmm. sure everybody is in place to success? And we, cause we're not on the field, right? That, that's how I kind of always feel about communities. Mm -hmm. I think like, you're not actually like on the field trying to take another organization down or compete against a business or sure. any of these types of things, right? It's why we're a nonprofit. So nobody can own us and nobody can sell us. Um, because you know, you're, 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 you have a different responsibility when it becomes like, hey, what is best for all of the community, not just the investment wing, not just the entrepreneur wing, not just like the various service providers or things like that. But you got to think like holistically or government and all these types of things, right? Mm -hmm. And we're not good at this, by the way. Like I'm not saying like we're perfect <laughs> at this. In fact, we're actually probably really bad at this, um, particularly on the political side because mm -hmm. uh, we're just not used to it and it's not our world and stuff. Sure. But um at our, at, at our at our best, we should be more like uh, a group of folks and the whole community having a say in kind of the future of it and not just particular wings. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. So, uh, you know, another community, you have co-founded a, new, a newer company, CEO.com. What does this company do? Yeah. So I've learned a lot at Silicon Slopes about community building, what it takes to do that, mm -hmm. why it's important, kind of, you know, the power of it, those various things which, which we've touched on. And at CEO.com, I like the challenge of making it not about a region, mm. but about a topic. Mm. And the topic is leadership, right? right. I want CEO.com to be a, the community for leaders mm -hmm. and not the community for Utah leaders or New York leaders or mm -hmm. California, but the community for leaders. I like the challenge of that. That sounds like um, a really hard thing to do. <laughs> right? And, uh, we're still, I have no idea. We're certainly not doing it right now. It's still, it's still super young. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's got kind of this media component to it. We're going to launch a platform here in the next mm -hmm. couple months. That's kind of like a souped up version of LinkedIn, but everybody mm -hmm. on it's kind of like a, a real leader and we'll see if it goes or not. I have no idea. And I have no, um, you know, allusions to the fact that it, it'll probably fail. Yeah. These things usually fail. But um, I like the challenge of it. Mm -hmm. I like this idea of like, can you organize a community around a specific topic uh, and not a region? And some of the greatest, you know, organizations have done that. And so hopefully we can try to do it. Yeah. I mean, you got to take those risks, right? Yeah. And challenge yourselves and to, and you never know. Right. Yeah. And it, it may fail, but it could turn into something else. That could be great and impactful yeah. to a nationwide or international community. That'd be really cool. Yeah, well, it's a cool domain, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that alone, like, kind of makes it like we should do something really cool with this. Mm -hmm. And I like the model. I believe in the model. I think I think we will see some success in some form or another. But yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting challenge to make it not about a region, which is something I haven't done before. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. That's cool. Um, so I'd like to sort of segue into a little bit about Utah and mm-hmm. Utah business and the tech industry here. I mean, we know it uh, goes without saying these days that there's been a tremendous amount of growth, especially in the tech industry. And we have other industries that are also growing right now and picking up. And so you were born and raised here in yeah. Utah? Yeah, born in Provo. Born in Provo. Grew up in Spanish Fork, live in Mapleton. Okay. So really like Southern Utah County. My yeah. Life. yeah. <laughs> and what kind of, I mean, I know we talked about a little bit already, sort of you being there early and, and feeling something, but what kind of significant changes have you seen in the business sector since you've, you know, growing up here and being involved and. Yeah. I mean, just the, the obvious ones are like when I used to drive by the point of the mountain, it was all, all farm fields. Yeah. Right. Lehigh was like what you had to go past to get to Salt Lake city. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a, uh, <laughs> a destination. In fact, that was probably even still true to some extent, mm-hmm. even 10, 15 years sure. ago. Right. So that, that growth is fascinating. The leadership, the mentorship, the people who have stuck here, mm-hmm. I think have really, again, like that's kind of what makes these things successful. It's what made Silicon Valley so successful and still so successful today is there's people who really invested in growing it, mm-hmm. right? And reaching back, investing in the next uh, wave of startups after they've been successful, mentoring them, mm-hmm. building a community, giving money to Stanford, you know, creating programs inside of there. Like Silicon Valley, the model there is fantastic. The only the only place where they screwed up is like they figured uh, they couldn't figure out how to not price people out. Because mm. if you uh, don't work in tech in Silicon Valley, you really can't live in no. Silicon Valley. That's it's not um, really possible. We need to make sure that doesn't happen here. I think we've done a lot of good things in growing this um, community, making Utah the number one state for business as it always is. And, you know, it, we take a lot of credit as entrepreneurs and uh, business folks, as we should. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the other people were part of that, like various nonprofits, certainly governments, governors, mm-hmm. um, legislatures, all that type of stuff to make it such a great environment for uh, business. But But the challenge ahead of us is, how do we make sure that if you don't work in tech in Utah, you can still live in Utah? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm happy to hear that <laughs> yeah. because, you know, having lived here, my listeners, you know, they know this story already, but I, you know, I lived here in the nineties and what an incredible amount of changes. I live in Harriman now. Yeah. And when I lived here in the nineties, I worked for my uncle doing uh, residential remodels, mainly flooring. And I think two or three times we had a job out in Harriman and it felt very far away and it was all farms and ranch homes. And, you know, so when my wife told us, told me we were moving to Harriman, I was a little bit taken back by it because I didn't know what to expect, but we love it and it's amazing. And Harriman's popping now. Yeah, it's really, you know, going off and, but housing is, does feel like unreachable sometimes. Mm -hmm, For sure. But. I think I think it's nice to hear that people involved in the community are thinking about that, right? Because it could really easily happen like mm-hmm. like it is in um Silicon Valley where it's an impossible place to live unless you're yeah. in the tech industry. What um um let me take get a drink of water here. No, yeah, you're good. <laughs> take a drink myself.
forgot to actually. I actually for I I had listened to or listened to a podcast that you had done, and you and this sort of goes back to journalism. So mm-hmm. I'm sort of I'm sort of backtracking here a little bit, but I'll we'll come back to the Utah thing. I loved when you talked about stories mm-hmm. and how stories are important to a community and yeah. community building. Do you know? I, I think everyone in Utah knows this article, but do you know this article, The Stories That Bind Us, by any chance? No, I don't was, think so. It was in the New York Times, and it tells a story about, you know, this is a very, uh, you know, paraphrased version of it, but it basically is, talks about how, how if as individuals or families, we know the stories of our own families, that it will help us to... Uh, you know, f- go through trauma or yeah. these kinds of things much easier. And they have an example of some kids that were affected by 9-11. And then 10 years later, they went back and interviewed them. And the kids that knew their family history had, were able to survive that trauma better than the kids that don't. Yeah. And I always thought, I, and I always think back to that. And I think that's really important for companies yeah, you know, so many companies have these great stories about being founded in their basement or their garage, or, and you know, I used to work for Layton Construction, and they have this great story about being founded out of their garage in mm-hmm. the '50s and what they've grown into this national company, and and I just I I think stories are incredibly important when it comes yeah. to company building, community building, all of these things. And I just really loved hearing what you had to say about that. Yeah, stories are at the heart of community. It's what, um, it probably is what a community is, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Like if you think about kind of the great communities that have been built or organizations like the Catholic Church or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for, for us in Utah mm-hmm. or, you know, not even just religious, you, th- you think about, you know, the American government or governments, it's all held together by stories. Mm-hmm right? Like founding stories and how we got here. And then you look at like companies, you know, Steve Jobs, maybe the greatest storyteller of all time. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you got it. Mark Zuckerberg has really like stuck to the story. Like the great companies stick to the story, mm-hmm. right. And mm-hmm. build off of the story and create more stories and make sure that their stories aren't forgotten. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I didn't know that when I was like writing these stories <laughs> about BS. That wasn't like an intentional thing yeah. uh, by, by any means. But now, you know, 12 years later, I wake up, I'm like, yeah, that actually is the whole thing. Like, yeah. if, if you're telling stories, that really is what binds communities together. Mm-hmm. And not even just communities, us, our lives. Like you said, yeah. like families, like yeah. we're bound to our families because of the stories. Mm-hmm. Like, well, like we love Mm-hmm. Uh, our significant others or our kids and stuff because of the stories of how yeah. it all happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, stories are the things that we survive on and, and we're creating stories all the time. Yeah. And, you know, that that's what I wanted with want with this podcast. I want to hear the stories of people yeah. who have created big companies, small companies, nonprofits, you know, and I think that all comes back to the Utah story. And I and if I can bring it back to Utah, something that you said, you know, there's something really interesting here because I feel like it very well could have been a different story. Mm-hmm. Companies could have been founded here and then moved somewhere else. Mm-hmm. They could have moved to Silicon Valley or or somewhere like, uh, you know, Microsoft moved from, was it from Texas to Seattle? Were they in Texas? I can't remember where, they, remember where they were originally, but, yeah. you know, 
it very well could have been a different story, but for whatever reason, Utah kept people here yeah, and created this system of mentors and mentees and startups and, and turning into big companies. And then, you know, I mean, it's a really cool thing. Why, why do you think, why do you think the story of Utah was able to create such a place? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, and I think the answer is probably pretty simple. If you if you break it down into like stories at the heart of community, stories are the reason why mm-hmm. we choose to live where we live, mm-hmm. why we choose to love who we love, all these various things, yeah. right? And if you think about the story of Utah, it's crossing the plains, coming the whole this is the place story, mm-hmm. kind of persecution, one person can change the world, one person can create this new thing. And so we from the beginning had a very entrepreneurial spirit sure. just ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, a community-oriented spirit mm. where you look out for each other. You yep. look out for your family, but then you also look out for for the community and you kind of roll up your sleeves and help out. It makes a lot of sense that mm-hmm. we became a world-class entrepreneurial hub. Sure, I think the entrepreneur capital of the world is yeah. Utah. Yeah, uh, Because of that kind of foundation and because of these stories and because of these ethos, over the years that have, you know, developed and we stick, we stick by each other. You don't really leave Utah mm-hmm. too often. Right. Like once you're here, you're kind of like here. Right. Yeah. Or, or, or you, you come back. back or yeah. Like you do leave. And then it's always like, man, there's something special over there. I gotta, yeah. I gotta go back. Right. Yeah. And, um, that's the people that's, mm. that's the, com- the community. I mean, we keep using that word maybe too yeah, much, but maybe. <laughs> that's the people who are here who are willing to, you know, be about something bigger than themselves. Yeah. It's kind of rare to find. Yeah. I mean, if I think about my own personal story for a second, you know, which I mentioned already, but I was here in the nineties and I, I don't know if I could have vocalized a particular bond with Utah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, in fact, I had some bad experiences. I wasn't a member of the church, mm-hmm. and and I left, and I and I, I was probably quite negative towards Utah after sure. leaving. But then, you know, 2020, I was married at that time, had two boys, and uh, my uncle, same uncle, who with the with the construction company, offered me a job, and I was like, okay, and so we moved back here, and it's been a totally different experience this yeah. time, and it's been one of community building and one of uh, bonding to the state. Now, unfortunately, I'm leaving again to go get my PhD in Reno at, at UNR. Oh, cool. But there, who, be back. who says that I won't be back? Yeah, you'll be back. Do you know? Yeah. And, I, you know, obviously I want to keep this podcast going even while I'm in Reno, but I think... You know, so that'll keep me tied to the community still. And, of course, we've got a lot of people and friends and family and, and, and all of that here. But it's an interesting thing to think about, like, how how it can sort of bring you back, right? Yeah, <laughs> and by the way, it's, it needs to be, and I think it is getting more welcoming and more diverse and all, mm-hmm. all of these types of things. And it's not perfect. Um, a lot of people here are like, oh, it's like utopia, kind of the way I talk about it, because it has been... You know, so incredible for me and my family, but mm-hmm. you know, we we, we got to strive and uh, to be better, and more welcoming, and mm-hmm. um, all those types of things. And, and I think we are on the right track with that. And there's obviously more we could do, but of course. But man, go look anywhere else. It's yeah, not like I mean, anybody any else place, has figured it out. Any place has more to do. You know, <laughs> to be better at 
who they are yeah. and what that place is, right? What do you see? What sort of? I mean, I don't know. I want to. I don't want to say predictions, but how do you see the Utah business community growing in the near future? I think over the next two ten years, it'll be twice as big as it is now. The challenge that we so kind of going back to the growth, I always think about that as like a challenge. Now, mm -hmm. we got to be really smart about our growth because growth is coming regardless. Sure, like these freeways are going to be more packed, um, traffic's going to be more, all this type of stuff is going to be more air quality, whether we want it or issues, not. Right, right. Yeah. Like, there's no like turning the clock back or making it stop. Right, that's not possible. Even if you just think of like most of the growth is ourselves. Mm -hmm. We just have a lot of kids here in the state yeah. of Utah, yep. and uh, they like to stay, and you know, parents like their kids to stay in the same state as them. Mm -hmm. So uh, the growth is happening whether we like it or not. What we got to be is like smart growth, and like from a government perspective, from a community perspective, all these, these various things, it's not really as much about recruiting companies to come put up a second headquarters here or put in a data center here anymore or any of these other types of things. It's probably more like how do we foster homegrown companies? Mm -hmm. And how do we support homegrown companies, homegrown entrepreneurs, and how do we attract talent and other folks from around the world to come here and build companies and those types of things? Mm -hmm. And how do we do it so it's not just on the Wasatch Front, right? Because mm -hmm. Utah is actually a pretty big state. Sure. Um, and if you look at rural Utah, I mean, there's a real opportunity. We're not uh, confined to the same geographical challenges that um, San Francisco is or Silicon Valley sure. and their government challenges, too, like mm -hmm. we're— they literally can't build any more houses yeah. because of government regulation, <laughs> things like that. And so uh, we have an opportunity here to avoid some of those pitfalls if we're really smart about it. Mm -hmm. uh, don't get too caught up in like, hey, let's go chase some logos to say that they're in Utah mm. and let's create our own logos. Then, mm -hmm. then I think we're into something interesting. Mm. And I think uh, Governor Herbert was understood this. I know Governor Cox understands this. I think the legislature understands this. So from a government perspective, it seems like they've got this figured out. And then, like, for us, it's just as, as business leaders, community leaders, those types of things. We just need to make sure we're not pricing anybody out. Mm -hmm. And we're thinking holistically mm -hmm. about what we want this state that we all love. If you say you love this state, then let's think about the future of this state, yeah. right? And not just, you know, throw, make it impossible to live anywhere near here unless you're, you know— working in tech as a big executive, yeah. or big developer. Yeah. I think we forget about the rest of the state sometimes. Yeah. To be sure. honest, you know, sure. they I, feel that too, by the way. Yeah. Like I'm I sure go around do. to rural Utah and they're like, yeah, you, that, it's a different world. It's a different place. Yeah. Uh, they, they view us as like, um, New York city mm -hmm. or they already <laughs> view us as like Silicon Valley. Right. Yeah. Like, and they don't want any part of it, nor should they, they're, they're living the best lives I can imagine. Like, <laughs> Like living out there um, on farms and ranching, like I grew up with that. I think all of that is incredible, and mm -hmm. we need to, you know, protect them and make sure that that lifestyle still exists here in the yeah. state of Utah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my last question, I want to I want to bring this up to baseball. I, Sweet, I've read a little bit about you, and it seems like you played baseball, and you're a baseball fan. Yeah. And my last podcast, my last episode was with an ex MLB pitcher. Oh really? Who start? Yeah, Jared Fernandez. He was a knuckleball pitcher, okay, very and he just this year started like a beard care company. Sweet. Met him in Walmart. It was a really cool meeting. I'm a huge baseball fan. Do you think we could ever have a MLB team here in Utah? Not only do I think we can, I think we will 
potentially next year. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but I think in five years, there's no question there's a yeah. major league baseball team here. I mean, well, you got the Miller group, you got mm-hmm. uh, Steve Starks and the Larry H. Miller group working on it. Um, seems like we have the land, we have the population for it. Uh, you got Ryan Smith, the owner of the Jazz, support. Uh, we've got everything in the water for that to happen. I think your first major league sports team outside of NBA will probably be an NHL team. We're mm-hmm. ready for that right now. Yeah. Just given the Delta Center and all that type of stuff. Yeah. But um, and by the way, we have Real Salt Lake, the major league soccer team as well. But um, yeah, no question, hundred percent, we'll have. That'd I think as as, as soon as next year. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be the most incredible. I'm a huge Dodgers fan. Oh, me too. But I'll I'll hang up the hat <laughs> if we if we get our own team here. Yeah, my my grandfather always taught me. I grew up in LA, so I'm a Dodgers fan. He was a big Dodgers fan, and you know I grew up there in the '80s, so you know Lakers, Dodgers were mm-hmm. amazing at that. Great dynasties at that point. But he always taught me to cheer for the home team. Yeah. And so I've moved around quite a bit. I've lived in New York and Vermont and Oregon and Nevada, so I've always felt that you know and so we're big bees fans and you know if we end up coming back to utah after my phd we'll be whatever their name is we'll be the fan i don't (laughs) think there's any question it's going to be called the utah pioneers how could it not be (laughs) yeah right like it's just sitting right there if it's anything else it's going to be really weird yeah i like that i like it i think that's a good one clint thank you so much yeah thanks man really appreciate the the taking your time to chat with me today yeah appreciate it awesome thank you I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Clint as much as I did. I really appreciate your support, and I appreciate you listening to the State of Business Utah. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye.